back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'll be your friend till the end. Wanna play? <laughs> Just kidding, it's me, I'm 3 and I'm coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, because it's time. We're keeping it sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Hope you're all having a great day on this Monday, the 31st day of the month of October, Halloween. Hope you're not facing too many tricks out there or getting too stuffed or sick on all the treats you may be eating today. If you're watching this live on Facebook or Instagram, I know I kind of look ridiculous dressed in my chucky costume hell some might argue that this mask looks better than you know the real thing but hey we'll we'll go with it we'll stay in the festive spirit shall we say wasn't really in the festive spirit uh, yesterday at metlife stadium where you know maybe i got a little too excited, a little too jacked up, maybe too fired up. And as, <laughs> excuse me, that's what the Jets typically do whenever we face the slightest bit of success, slightest bit of prosperity. They always bring you back down to earth as their four-game winning streak came to an end against the New England Patriots. And, you know, coming in, there was so much excitement, so much, you know, the fan base was fired up. The team was fired up. Hell, they were sending out press releases on Friday telling the fans, hey, end your tailgates early. We're going to be sending off fireworks when we want the people in the stands. We want a loaded building at kickoff, which they did. You had the first sellout of the year at MetLife for the Jets and it ended the way things have ended the last about seven years now with the Jets falling to the New England Patriots. But this this one had me even more annoyed, even more aggravated because, you know, in the past, you know, the Patriots would blow us out, would kick our ass. Mostly because, you know, they had Tom Brady, you got the greatest coach of all time in Bill Belichick, who what a surprise he patches passes George Hallis for second most wins for an NFL head coach yesterday. Of course, he saves it against the Jets. But the Jets finally had a better roster than the New England Patriots. You look up and down at this team, better running backs, better defense for sure. Deeper group of wide receivers, even with Corey Davis out injured. Yes, they have issues on the offensive line, seemingly losing another guy each and every single week. But you felt different. You felt that there was going to be a more 
positive vibe here when it came uh, to the Jets, but you got let down by the person who's arguably the most important person for this Jets franchise this year. Because as you know, in the NFL, you're not going anywhere unless you develop that quarterback. Unless you have surety, and we're putting the mask back on, that you have the guy at the quarterback position. And this year, that's what it's supposed to be about for Zach Wilson, showing that he's the guy. The problem is the Jets have done a lot of winning in the last month that it's almost changed the expectation level. It's changed how you feel about this team. That's why I always hate that saying that, oh, if someone would have told you at the end of August you'd be 5-3 and three at the end of October, you'd be excited. No, no, it matters how you get there. It matters what you do to get to that spot and have that success. Expectations change over time, especially when you start off 1-2 and two and you think the offense looks dismal at times, looks slow with Joe Flacco out there. Zach, no, he hadn't been forced to make a lot of mistakes. He hadn't been forced to do a lot. He'd been kind of a passenger with this team for the last month. But with the injuries uh, to Brees Hall and now the injury to uh, Elijah Vera Tucker as well, he's forced to do more. He's forced to be more than just a passenger along the way, along the ride here for this Jets team. And yesterday was a major letdown from Zach Wilson. And it hurts to say because you guys know that when the Jets were unable to trade to draft Trevor Lawrence, this was the number one guy ahead for me, ahead of Justin Fields, who you've seen him start to pick things up in the last two weeks, him start to grow from mistakes. You're not seeing growth from Zach Wilson. You're seeing the same old nonsense. You're seeing him lock in on a, who he wants to throw to before even uh, fully going through his progressions. Before, hell, sometimes even before calling snap, he's still staring at whoever he was originally thinking uh, to throw to pre-snap. And yesterday, his I'm not sure what I was more annoyed with, his footwork or his decision-making. Because with his footwork, you're seeing so many times where he's throwing off his back leg. He's throwing on the run with these sidearm throws, trying to be the hero. Newsflash, you're not Patrick Mahomes. You're not Josh Allen. Hell, this isn't the Mountain West anymore where there's no NFL-caliber players for you to go up against on every given Saturday. This is where the big boys play. This is where the big boys uh, decide who's the best of the best. And you know, he's still so careless with the football. And the second t- two interceptions, you knew he was going to throw an interception again at some point, and especially with his history, having a four-interception game against the Patriots last year, that he was probably due to get picked off at some point, especially last week, should have had multiple interceptions against uh, the Denver Broncos with some of uh, the bad reads 
that he was making. But yesterday, the, you look at these, these interceptions. The second one, he's throwing on the run, uh, trying to throw out of bounds, and McCourty catches it uh, before uh, his knee is out of bounds, is able to catch it along the sidelines. If you got to throw it out of bounds in that spot, make sure it goes into the crowd, not where it's right along the chalk, because you know, Belichick teaches his guys to cover every inch of the field. And then the, the final interception was typical of what you would see from a rookie, but typical of what you saw from Zach last year, where he's throwing on the run into triple coverage. And McCourty had enough time to put the hand up and call for a fair catch. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. But he's, he's not the only person I have a problem with. Uh, yesterday. How about uh, the offensive coordinator, Mike LaFour? Why are you getting away from the ground game so quick? Why are you getting away from the ground game so early? Because you know, it's not like this was a blowout. You know, in a blowout, you got to try and throw your way back into a game. You got to be able to try and you know, find your way through the air back. You're not going to be able to consistently uh, run the football. But this, no, what was the furthest that the Patriots got away from the Jets? 12 points? And the Patriots offensively did not do anything eye-popping yesterday. Didn't do anything exciting. Didn't do anything that was oh, recreating of the wheel. You had really two big plays of five from uh, Stevenson, including that 35-yard run on the first play of the second half. Other than that, the Patriots' offense you know, the, was held in check. The Jets' defense really dominated them, held them to five field goals. You, know, you hold the team to five field goals and 22 points in an NFL game, you should be able to, at home, you should be able to find a way to win the football game. But between Zach's decision-making... And LaFleur decided to get away from the run, even though, yeah, you're without Hall, you're without several pieces on that offensive line. You should not have a discrepancy of 40 to 15 when it comes to pass to run, especially when you're running out there a 23-year-old quarterback who's still trying to learn his way in the NFL. And, you know, to... Just add the cherry on top. You know, there's that moment of happiness late in the first half where you're thinking that, oh, this is, this is the moment. This is the moment where we get to finally put the Patriots in their place. There's no more Tom Brady, no more where the referees are just watching him the entire game. They actually have to call the entire game instead of kissing his rear end the entire time. And... You're thinking, all right, yeah, Zach Wilson uh, just threw an interception here. But this defense has been stellar all first half. Maybe get a stop here, at least force them to a field goal. Instead, you get what looks like it's Michael Carter's second interception of the first half. Looking like he's taking it all the way back to the house. Going to put the Jets up by two touchdowns heading into halftime and have a very joyous halftime celebration of putting uh, DeBrickishaw Ferguson in the ring of honor. 
No. Instead, it gets called back because John Franklin Myers once again has a boneheaded rough in the passer penalty. Now listen, the NFL officials have no idea what rough in the passer is anymore. They've screwed this up beyond belief. But JFM, you've got to be kidding me. Like, they're on you now, dude. This is the, what, third or fourth time that he's committed this penalty this season? And I'm tired of hearing the excuses from him after the game of, oh, I got to be better. I got to do better. That, that's on me. If you know that's on you, stop making the mistake. You know that they're going to call you when you take that extra step. And even if it's just a shove on the quarterback, they're going to call that each and every single time when he's already released the football. And that, while that, excuse me, ultimately cost the Jets the game, that really changed the feel of the game. That changed the vibe, the emotion of this game. Because you go up by two scores with how the Patriots struggled to move the football up and down the field. Maybe it changes the way LaFleur coaches the game in the second half, and you run the football, start to drain some of the clock, and really put pressure on Mac Jones, who, like I said, not much different than uh, Wilson yesterday, other than the fact that he threw one less interception. So, really, all the way around, disappointing uh, day at MetLife. And that was a game the Jets had to win, because you look at what's coming up this Sunday against the Buffalo Bills at home. And we've seen how Buffalo is uh, this year. I thought they actually took the foot off the gas a little bit against uh, Rodgers and the Packers a little bit uh, last night. But they could have easily put up 40 against them if they weren't turning the football over left and right. You look at the Jets' schedule coming up here. They got the Bills, then they got the bye. Then their remaining schedule, it's... At Patriots, Bears, Vikings, at Bills, Lions, Jaguars on Thursday night. And then road games to start 2023 against the Seahawks and the, the Dolphins. To me, by the time you get to the week of Christmas, you got to have a definitive answer here on whether Zach Wilson is your guy going forward. I know he's only 23 years old. But you look at the rest of this roster. Yes, they have to fix the offensive line. And they got to get some, hopefully get some guys back healthy next year. But this roster looks like it's ready to compete for a playoff spot, even without Brees Hall. You cannot let Zach Wilson and his lack of development set you back here. Either he gets his head out of his rear end real quick and starts playing smarter or you bench him potentially for Mike White who's going to be the backup for the rest of the season as it seems or if he completely throws this season away because you're afraid of benching him then you got to find a new quarterback this off season because you have a window here you've got young talent here on both sides of the football that look like they're ready to take off ready to pun intended, take flight in being a possible playoff contender. You can't let that be thrown away by a young kid who still thinks that he's playing Madden 
the video game and that this is the Mountain West Conference. Grow the hell up, Zach Wilson, or even I will be ready to move on from you. All right, a lot to get to for the next uh, about 45 minutes or so here. Give you some uh, thoughts on the rest of the action in you know, week eight in the NFL, including someone who I think is quickly becoming the most delusional person in the entire NFL. Give you uh, some thoughts on the NFC, mix in some NBA, some World Series, even maybe some Yankees thoughts or, or two here. So a lot to get to here for the remainder of the podcast. Yes, I know I look ridiculous, but I really don't care. It's Halloween. And on this Halloween, I hope you all just please sit back, relax, help put your feet up. And continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. The one good thing about these London games is the time that they come in. 9.30 a.m. on a Sunday, whether you're up early and working out like myself or getting ready to go to your favorite team's game for a 1 o'clock kickoff, you wake up, you got 9.30 kickoff of an NFL game. Yeah, it's between two bad teams and it's on a streaming service, which is ridiculous for a regular season game to ever be on a streaming service. But hey, it's football. And we've shown over the years that we'll watch just about anybody play NFL games. Including the Broncos and the Jaguars, who finally the Broncos got off the snide yesterday and won a game. But that, that's not even the real story here. You know, the real story is, of course, what is going on with Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson, who... You guys know I love. You know I'm a big Russell Wilson fan. But even I have got to look at him and be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, are you kidding me? And yeah, at this moment, I'm the last person that should be criticizing anyone considering how ridiculous I still look. But Russell Wilson is quickly becoming... Arguably the most delusional person in the entire NFL. I mean, you know, we see delusional people in all walks of life. How we see delusional people in the world of sports. You know, you want to talk Josh Donaldson in Major League Baseball, how he thinks he's everyone's best friend, yet really most players on the other team want to kick his ass. Or Russell Westbrook, who still thinks this is about eight years ago when he was averaging a triple-double and still thinks that he's a superstar player. But Russell Wilson, as far as the NFL is concerned, truly takes the cake, should, should we say. I mean, he missed the last week against the Jets uh, because of hamstring issues, but was ready to play uh, this week. And you talk about just not reading the room. He, he has that meeting with the media on Thursday 
where he talks about the flight over from uh, London saying, oh, they, I was uh, working when the entire team was sleeping, bragging about the fact that he was doing high knees on the flight for four hours over to London. And yes, on the surface, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but the weird part is he was dead serious in what he was saying. Like, Russ, look, at, look around you. All right, you've played awful this year. You've got your worst completion percentage of your career. You've been hit almost more times so far this year than at any point in your career. And at the same time, while you're struggling, the quarterback that has uh, succeeded you in Seattle, Geno Smith, is off to a Pro Bowl-level start and has the Seahawks with a you know, two-game better record than you, coming off a win against the Giants yesterday. He's outplayed you. Hell, their offense has outplayed you. They're in the top half of the league in most offensive categories. Well, you're bottom five in most offensive categories. And it's even more glaring when, look at it, the Broncos' defense has been awesome. They've been one of the best defenses in the sport. You have a hard time scoring against them. They don't allow teams to score 20 points against them. Yet we're sitting here right now. They're three and five. And quite frankly, they're lucky to be three and five with the way that their quarterback has played so far this season. And you now he's sitting there bragging about doing high knees. Listen, you know, no one has ever called him out about this because, you know, he had so much early success. He seems like such a, a nice guy. But Russell Wilson is another person that sometimes needs to get his head out of his rear end and realize what the hell is going on. And this is coming from me. As you all know, over the years of doing this podcast, I have been one of the biggest Russell Wilson supporters that there is. Even beyond just the fact that the Yankees own his baseball rights. Going back to when he was playing for Wisconsin. Big fan of the guy. But you look at how things have just kind of fallen apart. Ever since that second Super Bowl Seattle was in against the New England Patriots. Of course, the Malcolm Butler play. Which I think we've all come to the assumption at this point that the only reason that that happened was because the Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll and company, wanted for Russell Wilson to be the hero. Remember, the year before, against the Broncos, he was kind of along for the ride. There was uh, defensive um, touchdowns, special teams touchdowns being scored, the Broncos making uh, pre-snap penalties all over the place. And so Russ was just sitting there, didn't have to make a mistake, uh, just along for the ride in that tunnel. They wanted him to be the MVP, even though it was beast mode that got them down there. Even though you, know, you had you know, spectacular plays left and right that had the Seahawks on the doorstep of becoming the second team this millennium to the Patriots of being a repeat champion. 
and instead they decide to uh, run uh, that little screen pa pass in uh, the middle of the end zone that Malcolm Butler read correctly, ran the pick play on, uh, uh, on it, or broke the pick play that was set on it, and was able to get the interception. And since then, it fell apart. The Legion of Boom really turned on Russ and on Pete Carroll. They started getting rid of those guys because they were so turned off on the fact that it seemed like there were two sets of rules there. There were the Russ rules, and then there were the rules for everybody else. And you know, no one seemingly has the balls to tell Russell Wilson this. Not, now, not the Broncos. And the Seahawks tried... This is why the Seahawks tried to move on four years ago and trade for the number one overall draft pick. And the Broncos now, they can't say anything because he's got them by the you-know-whats. They gave him $256 million. After next year, they're paying him $50 million a year for like four consecutive years. So, you know, Russ really needs to wake up or else he's going to have this franchise turning on him like the Seahawks were, like the Seahawks have. Now, since those guys all left there, you've started to see them. Marshawn Lynch and company, Richard Sherman. Every time there's a microphone in front of them, none of them are that shy in telling the world how they really feel about Russell Wilson and how you know, lost he seems to be at times. And speaking of lost, of course, we got to get to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who have now lost their fourth consecutive game. And there doesn't seem to be a hope or a prayer in sight. They, this time being Thursday Night Football against the Baltimore Ravens. And now you look at the, the Buccaneers. Listen, we know what's going on off the field. Tom Brady just finalized his divorce this past week. And you got to think that some of that has affected him. I mean, unless he's just the most cold-blooded human being on God's green earth, it's affected him. The, the only person that something like that would not affect is Bill Belichick. And, and we know he's a heartless human being. But you could see it with Tom. You could see what's going on off the field is is wearing on him. He looks like a guy after these games where it's like, I'm just ready for it to be over. I don't want someone else to decide for me when it's going to be over. I'll decide when it's over. And he he looks defeated. He looks somewhat mentally checked out. Whether it's the personal issues off the field or what's going on on the field. You know, he's first... For the second time in his career, he's now without his favorite target in Rob Gronkowski. And that this roster between the offensive line where every single week you seem to have a different guy playing guard or center for them. They've taken such a hit, such a beating on that offensive line. And the roster around him just looks so slow. Mike Evans looks like he's lost the step. Chris Godwin looks like he's lost plenty of steps. Julio Jones, it may say Jones on the back of the jersey, but that is not the Julio Jones we remember from the Atlanta Falcons. All the way around, this team is a mess, and they can't run the football anymore. It's not just, you know, you can blame the offensive line all you want, but this was 
you know, a team that, you know, last year they were able to have a nice little give and take there between pass and run. You know, they're averaging less than 30 uh, yards uh, per game from last year or 30 yards less a game than last year. And their defense, a defense that was great at stopping the run last year, has taken a hit there with Indominican Sue leaving. They thought they'd bring in Hicks from Chicago, and he's already hurt. And now everyone's just uh, gearing up, double-teaming on Vita Vea, and they've got no answers there. The, the only thing, quite frankly, that is going to save the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is the division and the conference that they're in. Because you, you look at the NFC South right now. They're one game behind the Atlanta Falcons after their win against uh, the Panthers yesterday that they seriously tried to choke away late. It took a miraculous throw by P.J. Walker that, quite frankly, that game shouldn't have gone to overtime. The refs decided to call the personal foul penalty on Moore for taking his helmet off after that touchdown. But you look around that division, who do you really believe in in the long run? You know, the Falcons, you know, you got to see it for to believe it for a full year out of Mariota and company. Although, so far, Arthur Smith looks like he's right up there with Brian Dayball for Coach of the Year candidate. The Saints, now I don't know if the Saints are going to be fully healthy uh, at any point this year or if they're going to truly commit to one quarterback uh, at any given time. And then there's the Panthers, who we know... What they're trying to do, they're trying to get that number one overall pick. So the Bucks, just based on nutrition and based on you know lack of talent around them, might be able to still sneak into the postseason at you know nine and eight, eight and nine, winning that division. But that's about it. That's about their ceiling uh, for uh, this year because they're just not that good of, of a football team, and you know. Brady can look to one of his uh, compatriots in uh, that conference, Aaron Rodgers, and be like, where did it all go wrong for for, uh, both of us? Now, whether it be with uh, the Packers and letting Devontae Adams go and seemingly not having an answer after him, not having an answer when, you know, things go awry there with their passing game and, and... they're losing wide receivers left and right. They're, you know, they're lucky that they only lost by 10 last night since they were without Cobb and Lazard and lose Watson during uh, the game. And then the, the, uh, the Buccaneers just, you know, more, it's more than just Tom. As bad as Tom has played. Offensive line looks like crap. Defense is not playing to the level it was last year. And all of these guys are on offense all of these weapons he had has lost a step and you know who really hurts even more than Tom because Tom's legacy is in in stone Tom's legacy is golden the guy it really hurts here is Todd Bowles because Todd Bowles everyone had always said oh you know it was the Jets you know the, the the Jets were just a poorly constructed franchise bad roster made him look bad in his uh First uh, chance as a head coach, 
he'll do better in th that second opportunity. And he gets handed this great opportunity in front of him, legendary quarterback, on paper looks like a good roster, and he has no answers. He still has that same dumbfounded look from when he was the Jets head coach, doesn't seem to get pissed off or annoyed about anything. Now, he can't say anything to Tom about taking 11 days off during uh, the preseason or having uh, Wednesdays off and seemingly can't solve the answers for this team defensively. Now, he may be a, a guy that, you know, the downfall of the Buccaneers and his... Uh, Head coaching opportunities. He's going to continue to get chances as defensive coordinators, but you rarely see a guy in the NFL get three cracks as a head coach. All right, going to take a break here. Try to take a breath because you guys have no idea how hot it is under this mask right now. But uh, we come back on the other side. You know, look at what went on with the Giants this week as well as. Now mixing some NBA, still got to get to the World Series as well. So still a lot to get to here. Continue keeping it sports with M. I'll be back. Look at that. The Lakers finally decided to join the 2022-2023 NBA season and get their first win of the year, avoiding LeBron becoming the first former MVP to start the season 0-6. And it comes at an interesting time, just three days after an Instagram post by LeBron James, who... You know, at times, as much as I love and respect LeBron, I do get a little bit annoyed by some of these cryptic Instagram or Twitter posts that he'll put at, you know, whatever time it is on the West Coast that he goes to bed. And, you know, we, we on the East Coast only wake up to see that he posted something, you know, strange, something cryptic, something with more than the meaning that you think it is at, you know, 4 a.m. our time. But you got to admit that there could be something behind this. There could be some meaning to this. There could be some reality behind this. When he posts an Instagram pic of himself mid-dunk with the caption of, how long will you be taken for granted? And he's got to feel you know, a bit taken for granted when it comes to the Lakers. Because like I mentioned last week, it's the same old nonsense when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers. It's the same old, let's rely on LeBron James like he's 27, 28 years old rather than he's 37, 38 years old. I mean, he's still leading the team in minutes per game. He's played every game so far this season. Had to because they were winless. 
But it's the same nonsense as before where, you know, they replaced the old guys that couldn't shoot with young guys that couldn't shoot. The only difference being is that the head coach decided to grow a set and tell Russell Westbrook, hey, you know what, man? You're going to come off the bench from uh, now on. We think that's the best way to use you. And, you know, the last two games, you've gotten good results from Russell Westbrook. 18 a night off the bench in 30 minutes. But this Laker team, you know, unless they get better shooting on them, they're not going to go anywhere in the Western Conference. We know the Western Conference in the NBA is outright loaded right now. I mean, you have, of all teams, the Portland Trailblazers getting off to a strong start, and we'll see how long that lasts with the injury to Dame Lillard. But the West is extremely deep with the Suns, with uh, the Golden State Warriors who are off to a slow start by their standards. The Nuggets who... Uh, they split two games with these first couple of games. You got young upcoming teams like Minnesota and the Pelicans as long as they can stay healthy. Now, the, the Lakers, if you're the Lakers, you've got to get to, at minimum, the sixth seed if you want to have any shot in making some noise this year. Because with the way their team is constructed, they're not going to go deep into the playoffs. Hell, they should worry about making the playoffs first, but then they're going to go deep if they've got to play the play-in scenario once again. You can't keep putting LeBron James's body through this. At some point, as well-conditioned as he is, as, as much as he takes care of himself, you know, the, the father time is going to look at him and say, no. Nobody's undefeated against father time. You're seeing it Right now with Tom Brady. You're seeing it with Aaron Rodgers. Hell, you saw it with Kobe Bryant late in his career. Now, it catches up to all of the greats. All of them, at some point, as much as their will, as much as their heart says, yes, I can do it, their body says, no, you can't. And you can't continue to, A, try to have him lead the team in minutes, but also have him lead the team in games played. He should be sticking to playing about 60 games this year, not playing uh, both ends of back-and-back -back or back-to-back -back on the road and keep at it like that. Because you keep him at this uh, regiment, keep taking him for granted, you're going to waste another season of his career. And at some point this year, He's going to break down, and you're going to be completely screwed. Now, talking about completely screwed, or screwing with my mind as it is, I'm disgusted with the Brooklyn Nets. I know it's, what, two weeks into the season, but one in five, are you kidding me? Come on, guys. Like, I understand. The competition that they have played so far is for the most part, playoff teams. Now, the Pelicans, as long as Zion Williamson and uh, Brandon Ingram stay healthy, look like they can make some noise in the West. We know how dangerous the Raptors can be. The Grizzlies, with John Morant, are as great a show as there is in the sport. 
you have a, probably the favorite to come out of the East in the, the Milwaukee Bucks, who they fell to last week. The Thursday loss to the Mavs at home had me a bit annoyed, especially because I wanted to see a little more aggressive defense from Ben Simmons against Luka Doncic. I thought that would have been the the play there, but you know Ben Simmons just he seems terrified to even touch the ball or be near the ball late in these games because he doesn't want to go anywhere near the foul line. But Saturday night, losing to the Indiana Pacers, who, let's face it, the Indiana Pacers are just waiting for the right trade to come along, the trade Miles Turner. Because they're in tank mode. They're in rebuild mode once again. They have no designs on being good or competing for a playoff spot at all this year. And you're getting out-hustled by them. You're getting destroyed by them in the paint, you have a, an awful shooting night all the way around. You, I mean, this team, I know there's been some guys missing you without Seth Curry for the first couple of uh, games there, still dealing with uh, some injuries on that front. But last I checked, Kevin Durant is still playing. Kyrie Irving is still playing. No, you still, Ben Simmons has played. Claxon has played. M Mills has played. Like, what the hell's going on here? Are Royce O'Neal has been playing. Come on, guys. You can... The Indiana Pacers, that was supposed to be a get-right game. And it's at home. You're playing them back-to-back -back at home. Saturday night, and then once again tonight. I'm telling you, they have, they've got a six-game stretch coming up here. Where this week they're playing the Pacers tonight. Tomorrow they're against the Bulls. Then they got back-to-back -back road games against the Wizards and the Hornets. Before coming back to the area next week. Where a week from Wednesday they're going to be playing the Knicks at the Garden. They better be at or over 500 by the time we get to that point. Or we've got to talk about Steve Nass's job. And listen, I like some the fire that Steve Nass has shown so far this year, the energy that you know he's fighting for his players, defending his players, kind of kicked out of some games for his guys, but he cannot be the most passionate person there with the Brooklyn Nets. He cannot have the most fire and determination for the Brooklyn Nets. I got to see more of that fire. I got to see more of that aggressiveness, that intensity, that will to win from this group than just from their head coach. And if we can't get it from now until a week from Wednesday, something has got to change. And unfortunately for Steve Nash, that may be him. Now, I know there's there's been a lot of disappointment in uh, this area when it, it comes to sports as of late. You know, Yankees getting eliminated from the playoffs last week. The Jets losing their 13th consecutive game to the Patriots, which I'm... Still pissed off about. Uh, the, the Knicks have lost two in a row. The Nets, slow start. Uh, but the misery continued yesterday with the Giants losing in Seattle to the Seattle Seahawks. And listen, at some point, the New York Giants were going to lose a football game. Okay, They were not going 16-1. They, 
in a lot of ways, they were very lucky and fortunate at the end of these games. But as many people have said over the years, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. They have grossly outplayed their talent level. Hell, to show you that you know, they got rid of a what many people thought was a talented young wide receiver, but clearly immature, in Kadarius Toney last week. And outside of uh, Slayton, don't have a wide receiver on this roster that you or I could name or that you or I would draft in a fantasy football league. But now that they have been finding a way, they've been not making a lot of mistakes, but yesterday they were just too mistake prone, this time becoming on special teams. You know, with those two botched uh, punt returns that set Seattle up for great field position, really killed the Giants. And it comes in a day where the Giants weren't able to do much offensively at all. They had two opportunities in the red zone, and one of them was because of the Tyler Lockett fumble in the second quarter that set them up uh, for uh, Saquon Barkley's touchdown. Other than that, offensively, they had nothing going. Couldn't run the football. Daniel Jones, while he didn't make any horrendous mistakes, truly wasn't able to get this offense going. And now Geno Smith, like I said earlier, got to give him credit. He has played very well for the Seattle Seahawks, has been playing at a Pro Bowl level so far this season. And, you know, if this game was at MetLife Stadium, you'd probably be a little bit more annoyed if you're a Giant fan. But it's a road game. You have to travel the furthest distance that there is to go from Jersey to Seattle. And, you know, sometimes that can get on the players a little bit. So you shrug it off. You hope for better things to come after the bye week. Where after the bye, you got two very winnable games. You're going up against... The Texans and Lions at home, the Texans who will also be coming off of sort of a mini-buy in their own right as they play the Eagles on Thursday Night Football this week. But the Giants are still in a pretty good spot. Yes, with the loss and the Eagles' dominant win over the Steelers yesterday, they fall to a game and a half behind them in the NFC East. But you look around the NFC right now and there is still a lot of mediocrity around you we've talked about with the bucks and the packers how they seemingly cannot get out of their own ways and you know the packers you know, they're not just losing they're getting they're getting their asses kicked in these losses but who in the nfc do you really trust who do you, in the nfc do you really believe in outside of the philadelphia eagles who continue to be the the class, continue to be the standard of the NFC. And what yesterday showed is sometimes you got to be aggressive. You got to go out there, take a risk, take a shot, take a chance. And that's what the Eagles did this past offseason. You know, everybody was kind of wishy-washy heading into this year on Jalen Hurts. You know, could he truly be the guy? Well, the Eagles went out there, took a big step this offseason, and made that big move 
in getting A.J. Brown from the Titans, traded a, a lot away to get him, and he's changed everything for Jalen Hurts, taking him from what looked like, all right, an acceptable quarterback to now a guy that, hey, we look like we're ready to not just commit to him long-term, but be a Super Bowl contender. This guy could take us uh, places. And you, you saw that same thing happen a couple of years ago when the Bills decided to trade all that draft capital to the Minnesota Vikings to get Stephon Diggs. So teams that are aggressive, teams, front offices, should I say, that are aggressive, you know, those are the kind of teams that win. And you got to be willing to take those shots once in a while. But like I said, you look around this NFC, there's a lot of mediocrity. Now, the, outside of what the Eagles are doing, pretty much everybody is between that 3-5 and five and 5-3 five and three range. There's no one else that's really jumping out and grabbing things outside of the NFC East other than the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings who, listen, we know they're talented. We know they have a lot of weapons offensively between Cook, between Thielen, between Jefferson. But the question has always been about the quarterback. Because Kirk Cousins, when you put him in at 1 o'clock on a Sunday, he's as good as anybody. We know that he's going to be right up there amongst the league leaders in passing yards each and every single season. It's when you take him out of 1 o'clock on a Sunday and take him out of the months of September through December that we have our concerns about him that he has not been able to step up when the lights are brightest, either in prime time or in the postseason. So he's, no matter what they do for the rest of the season, and they look like they're going to run away with the NFC North, Kirk Cousins has got to prove to us in the month of January that he can get it done, not just in September through December. Now, the Cowboys, they're sitting right there. They are right behind the Eagles, just like the Giants, a game and a half back in the NFC East. And we, we got to see the best version of the Cowboys yesterday. That, you know, yeah, Dak Prescott, he had one interception, but he wasn't relied on to be the show for the Cowboys offensively yesterday. That was Tony Pollard, who, you know, I hope that the Cowboys coaching staff was watching. I hope that they had their eyes completely wide open, what they were watching with Tony Pollard. Because when you give this guy the football, he could do some fun, exciting things. He has electricity. He has energy to him. He has a burst to him that Ezekiel Elliott does not have anymore. I don't care how many times, <coughs> excuse me, Jerry Jones props up Ezekiel Elliott during a post-game press conference. Tony Pollard should be the number one option at running back for this team. Not just saying this based off yesterday, but off past history here. Zeke has looked slow since getting that contract. Tony Pollard 
by comparison, when you put him in these games, it looks like he adds something. He creates a new wrinkle to this offense. And I'm not saying you completely just dump Zeke by the wayside because as we've seen in the NFL, it's become a multiple back situation where you don't truly have with every team, unless you're Derrick Henry, a bell cow, a guy that's going to dominate the rock for you most of the game. But this is how you win if you're the Cowboys. Lead with Pollard, mix in a little bit of Zeke. Wherever you want to have Dak throw the football, fine, because you know, we know they're limited at wide receiver. And then let that defense take over the rest of the way, led by Micah Parsons, who continues to look like the favorite for defensive player of the year. But you know, I'm looking around this NFC. I see three teams in the NFC East that look good. I see Minnesota, what they're doing, but still a lot to prove later in this season. And then I'm left saying to myself, who do I believe in? Who is going to be that team that steps up and is great down the stretch? And that's what we're going to be watching for the last, oh, about 10 weeks of this season. Going to take one more break here, come back, turn my attention to the World Series. And mixing some Yankees as well, probably. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. What a time it must be to be a fan of Philadelphia sports. Especially when you look at the unbelievable start that the Philadelphia Eagles have gotten off to this season. You look at the Eagles right now, and you're just saying to yourself, if you're a fan, just be healthy in the month of January. Just get to January 100% healthy, because right now, there doesn't look to be a true strong contender and doesn't look to be someone that can match them or stop them from doing offensively what they're doing. And the, the lone time we've seen that offense slow down in recent weeks was against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football after Lane Johnson went out with the injury. Other than that, they've been a runaway freight train offensively because teams are scared to death with how many RPOs that they are running per game, realizing that you know, they've got talented backs. Hertz can take off and run with the football, and just when we think that he's going to run with the ball as we're coming at him, he'll throw it over our heads to uh, you know, a plethora of wide receivers there. So, you know, And that, that defense has uh, been killer as well so far this season. Meanwhile, across the parking lot, You've got the Phillies in the World Series who, you know, right now, quite frankly, the Phillies should be down two games to nothing in the, this World Series. They should be coming home tonight looking to try and, 
you know, get back in the series. The problem for the Astros is one of the long, confounding curses, I guess you want to call it, has come back to rear its ugly head. And it's the most baffling thing to me because you look at Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander has had as great a career as anyone could ask for. He's a multi-time Cy Young winner. Now, at or around 200 wins for his career. He's a former American League MVP. He's won a World Series with the Houston Astros. But the one kryptonite he has is pitching in the World Series. He's now 0-6 with an over-6 ERA. And you thought maybe, oh, he's going to start to change the narrative of that on Friday night when he's got a 5-0 lead early on, isn't giving up a hit through three innings. And then the Phillies just slowly but surely punching Judy their way right back into uh, this game with Castellanos RBI double in the second, or I mean in the fourth, excuse me, a two-run double by Bohm. All of this coming with two outs and... You know, just giving some life, giving some energy to the Phillies after they've been shut down for the first couple of innings. And then you know, from there, the Phillies pitching staff after you know, Kyle Tucker had beat up on Nola for the first couple of innings was able to shut down the, the Astros' high-powered offense for the rest of this game, give Rilamuto enough time to be the hero on Friday night with the, the game-tying double in the fifth, then the go-ahead home run in the 10th the inning. But what, you know, people talk about the, the home run by uh, Rulamuto in the 10th, what you forget is you almost didn't get there. You almost didn't get to that spot because if Cassianos, who has been ripped a lot this year, including by yours truly, for his defense, does not make that sliding grab um, to Rob Pena of a hit in the ninth inning. We're talking about the Astros going up one game to nothing and you know, being in some serious trouble, especially with the way that uh, Fernando Valdez has pitched so far this postseason and continued that on Saturday night. He has been he's been the ace for this Houston Astros team in this postseason he's been the the one that is been truly locked down been shutting the opposition down I don't know if it's the comfort of having Verlander in front of him or the fact that every start he's had to make and every start he's gonna make in this postseason has been at home he's not gonna pitch uh, unless uh, you know unless they decide to go with him and Verlander each on three days rest for games four and five. He's not going to pitch away from Minute Maid Ballpark and had another stellar outing shutting down the Phillies on Saturday night to tie up this series, being making it the first time uh, this uh, year that the combo of Nola and Wheeler went back-to-back starts together of giving up five plus runs but so far you have you have this world series where if you're a fan of baseball and you don't have a team 
in the fight. If you're you know, not one of these like me who outright hates the Houston Astros, or you're not a fan from a team in the NL East that hates the Phillies, you want it to be like this. You want it. You don't want someone dominating. You want this series to go as long as humanly possible, I and mean, that that would be the best outcome for Major League Baseball. But now we bring the series back to Citizens Bank Ballpark tonight for Game Three, where you're gonna have Noah Syndergaard on the mound. Noah Syndergaard, who over the years has been talk like a big tough guy and hasn't had a lot of those step up and prove it moments has been kind of been humbled since his Tommy John surgery haven't haven't heard him say a lot of nonsense publicly unless it's on social media tonight's a night for him to really step up to show out because you know Rob Thompson said yesterday that while he hasn't pitched a real start since the month of September, they've kind of been limiting him as far as his usage here goes in the postseason. If he's rolling, they're going to stick with him. They're going to let him go in the, this game tonight. So it, it's going to be interesting uh, and fun to watch because we've seen how great this Phillies offense has been in uh, this ballpark. We've, we've seen how dominant they've been in this ballpark and the, tonight's going to be the first time in baseball history in which you're having a postseason game between a team that is 3-0 or better on the road against a team that is 3-0 or better at home. Never happened surprisingly in the over 100 years of this great sport but should be fun, should be exciting to watch. And hopefully, at some point in the near future, I'll be watching my New York Yankees back in a World Series. But like I mentioned last week, they're not going to get to that point until they make changes at top. Whether it's changes in philosophy or it's changes in the voice. And you're starting to see maybe some public pressure coming down on Hal Steinbrenner. Because you know the fan base is pissed off. The fan base wants Aaron Boone fired, even though Hal has said that he doesn't uh, see uh, uh, a change being made at the managerial spot. But look who came out last week and outright slammed Aaron Boone. Came out there with just a stiff forearm to the jaw. Yankees legend... Mariano Rivera saying quote if I'm the owner Aaron Boone wouldn't stay when things don't come out the way we want them to all the fault goes on the manager and somebody has to pay the price and we won't put that on the players that's the third Yankee legend that has come out pissed off about what's going on with the Yankees in the last week the first two being Joe Torre and Derek Jeter, who were, just like all of us fans, outright PO'd over the fact that for some reason prior to Game 4, the Yankees uh, video guy is sending around highlights of the Red Sox coming back against the Yankees in the 04 ALCS. Or 
no, you're having Aaron Boone FaceTiming David Ortiz talking about this. The last thing anybody wants to think about is the 04 ALCS. And I will continue to say this until I'm blue in the face, in which I probably am right now from sweating with this mask on. Something has got to change here. They cannot just stay status quo. Whether it's a change at the manager spot or a change at the GM spot, and that would likely mean a change at the manager spot, or how, as he's re-signing Brian Cashman, which that seems like the likely outcome here is, telling him, you've got to change. Because I can't keep going on with this same mindset, this same philosophy they have, treating the analytics, and we know every team in the league is, anal is using analytics, but they treat it like it's the Bible. They treat it like, oh, what happens in the regular season that same spot comes up in the postseason. you got to rely on what happened in the regular season. No, you've got to be able to have a gut decision on things. You've got to be able to realize in a spot that, hey, this is the playoffs. Like with the Garrett Cole spot. I'm either sticking with my guy and going down with him, or I'm bringing in one of my best relievers. I'm not going to Lou Trevino just because it's quote-unquote his lane. Or, like you had in Game 2 against the Guardians, where you're bringing in Jamison Tyon in extra innings when he's never pitched out of the bullpen in his life. All right? They have got to get off of this mindset of trading everything from the regular season as the same in the postseason. It's blown up in their face over the years. Hell, why do you think they have not made the playoffs in the or made the World Series, excuse me, in the last 13 years. It's because of the fact that A, they don't get the timely hits in the postseason, and B, because of all the stupid managerial and organizational moves they've done, in particular the last three or four years, whether it be the J-Hap spot in the playoffs against the Rays three years ago, or this year with Tyon and then Lou Trevino. Hell, they were probably going to lose to the Astros anyway. But you got to go down with giving it your best shot. And what's weird to me is by now, you would think that the Yankees are having their post-mortem press conferences with Boone, Brian Cashman, you know, talking about the season that was, crediting Judge for his season, uh, talking about, you know, things they got to get better at doing in the offseason, and answering questions uh, such as what I'm bringing to the table here on whether certain organizational philosophies are going to change. But we're over a week from them getting eliminated. Usually it's three or four days after they're eliminated. Is something up here, something going on that we all don't know about? Is there a hang-up in a potential extension for Brian Cashman or are we all going to get our wish and there's going to be some kind of change at top some kind of change at the GM or manager's spot and that my friends was keeping it sports with M3 for Monday October 31st 2022 hope you all have a great Halloween stay safe have fun have a safe happy healthy week 
and I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Until then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.